0: Hey, Andy Phillips here. And I'm Tom Hackett. You may remember us from that time when we used to try really hard to make plays on fourth down. Well, we're back at it with a brand new show called Special Forces Gang, where we give you new perspective on what it takes to be a football player. We talk all things Utah football, sports, and life. Don't miss Special Forces Gang. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or on kslsports.com. Go, Go Utes. Utes! At Farmers Insurance, we know a roof can withstand a lot. One exception being an airborne car seen it covered it click for more
1: we are farmers underwritten by farmers truck fire insurance exchanges and affiliates products not available in every state
0: this is innovation and leadership where we interview navy seals venture capitalists pro athletes best-selling authors hollywood filmmakers really as many different kinds of high achievers as we can get to come on the show today's episode is going to be from our mini series that we created with corporate alliance asking top ceos and executives and entrepreneurs who've had very large exits specifically about their thoughts on leadership and people. Also, I want to talk to you about one of our show's sponsors. I met these guys back on episode six. CEO Zach Smith was telling me all about starting a skateboard company and how much he hated doing the bookkeeping uh, for a skateboard shop and how he really uh, got led to start this business, Bookly, that's a hybrid combining bookkeeping software and human services. And I'll tell you why I let him become a sponsor. It's because I use their service now. I don't love paying 50 bucks an hour for bookkeepers to do stuff that I know software could do way, way cheaper, but uh, I don't love bookkeeping at all. So I want a real live human who knows what they're talking about to help me with the stuff I don't understand. Uh, probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me, though, the thing that put me over the top was that they could do my taxes and payroll also. Um, so totally suggest checking them out. Go to their website, bookly.co, and check out their flat rates. I've been super happy with them. So now on to today's episode. This is part two of our episode with Amy Rees-Anderson. Amy... We did this on part one, but I want to do it again. Can you give people the list of, of all the stuff you're doing these days?
1: Yeah, I'm happy to. So I'm the managing partner of Reese Capital, an angel investment firm. I'm the co-director of the IPOP Foundation. It sounds for In Pursuit of Perfection, and it's a foundation that's dedicated to encouraging our young people to look at entrepreneurship as a pathway to become self-reliant. I'd love to see more young women look at entrepreneurship as well, because um, it really was what helped me be self-reliant when I was a single mom for so long. Um, And then I'm also serving on many boards and writing. I I do a daily blog and also contribute to Forbes and Huffington Post and other outlets.
0: Yeah. Well, we talked a little bit about your blog on the last episode, but I I think people would be interested to hear why you're still writing it after you sold... MetaConnect Global for $377 million. Why are you still writing a blog five you know, days a week? <laughs> Isn't it like seven years you haven't missed a seven day? Seven years I haven't missed a day. Okay. So um, why, you made, you sell the company for $377 million. Why are you still writing the blog? Well, that's what's interesting
1: is, you know, I was doing it for the employees. And when we sold the company and I let the employees know I was going to transition out, I was really surprised that they said, well, are you are going to keep writing your blog? And I was like, well, you don't have to read my blog anymore. I'm not your boss. It's okay. And they're like, no, we really like it. And so I did at that point, I turned and made it a public blog. And told them I would continue writing. That was kind of the promise I made is I continue writing. And I I have ever since we sold the company, I continue to write five days a week and I don't miss a day. And it's really just very real. I mean, it's really like it could be anything from don't put your pants on right out of the dryer because it's seriously bad on your self-esteem. Or it might be that my husband forgot to fill my car up with gas and I'm giving advice to the husbands out there not to ever do that to your wife because it's just a bad idea on your marriage.
0: Um, and then
1: it's, it's business lessons, right? It's about, um, you know, what do we look for in angel investment deals that come in and, and what are some of the lessons I'm learning? What are the mistakes I'm making? I think it's it's really good for us to admit like that we aren't perfect and we make mistakes because it really helps other people see that they're not in it alone. You know, so often there's this pressure to know everything and be perfect at everything, and social media paints this picture of, you know, their life is perfect. No one, there is nobody's life who's perfect, just because they post. Who's going to post an ugly picture on social media, right? Like no one wants to put that out there, but but I think it's good to sometimes post what's really going on so that we can help other people feel like they can be real. And so that's that's what the blog's about, and it's become for me a little bit of a legacy. I figure, you know, my kids, you know, they they don't think your parents are cool now, right? So they don't want to hear what you have to say, but like maybe someday they'll go back and read it and go, Oh, that's what my mom thought. So, and it's a good legacy for your grandkids and whatnot.
0: I love it. Um, I want to talk about this charity for a minute. I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, entrepreneurship can save the world. So I, I hadn't heard of what you were doing before. Uh, tell us about how it got started and what you're doing now.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I was, I, when I started my first company, it was really to support my kids. I, you know, I became a single mom with these two kids and I was the sole support of my family and entrepreneurship, You know, I had, I had dropped out of college to be able to, at the time, put my husband through and then ended up divorced. And so, um, for me, I was scared to death thinking, what am I going to do to support my family? And I couldn't be a doctor or lawyer, obviously at that point. So I thought, well, I'll just be an entrepreneur because that's what you do if you don't know what you're going to do. Um, and for me, it became this gateway that helped me become self-reliant and be able to provide a life for my children and, you know, in my opinion, part of being a good mom is being able to put bread on the table when you need to and feed your kids. So I really look at it as an opportunity for our kids today to be able to come self-reliant is to look at starting companies and running companies. And that's why we wanted to be able to give back and encourage people to do that because it was such a blessing in my life.
0: And so what year did you start it?
1: Um, I started in 2012.
0: And, and give us an example of what it looks like today.
1: Yeah. So we have different programs, but we focus on high school kids, university students, and then special programs for encouraging women, especially. But um, in the high school, we do business plan competitions. For example, we ran these kick app competitions that where the kids were encouraged to come up with a business plan for an app, because that's what they're so familiar with is our phones. And they would write the business plan. And then we would teach everyone how to do a pitch. And then we would pick the top ones and do a big assembly at the high schools and have the kids come and pitch before angel investors. And you know, it was phenomenal, because the ideas that have come out of the high school level, I hate to say it, but they by far blow away what we see coming from adults. Cause these kids are so familiar with technology and it's exciting. We had several of the kids that have gone on that didn't plan to be entrepreneurs, but have gone on. One of the gals became a Sterling scholar award winner and, and, now wants to be this entrepreneur. And so seeing these kids go from high school and, and graduate up into college, it's exciting to see the impact it had on them just to even have that light bulb go off that says I can be an entrepreneur. And with the universities, we partner with them and do business plan competitions to help get more of the students involved there and give scholarships away to young women as well.
0: And do you have some curriculum at all or guidance of helping kids know what's going to make a good business plan? or what does Yeah, that
1: look like? we do. We go in and do mentoring with them and, and meet with them and try to give them advice on how to do that and help them see that it can be simple and make it not seem like it's this, you know, super hard, mysterious thing. We just try to get down to the brass tacks of what it really takes. And, um, the mentoring part of it, I think is the most fun because you're teaching all these kids and, and look, even if they don't all become entrepreneurs, you're teaching them to have strategic thinking and problem solving skills and leadership skills that are going to go on to benefit them no matter what their career is.
0: Yeah. Well, um, I'm interested to hear, you know, talking about investing and what you're looking for in these kind of things. Give us an example of one of the, one of the more, I don't know, one of your favorite investments you guys have made. I don't have favorites. It's like asking your
1: favorite child. (laughs) Tell us about Um, one of the fun ones. You know, it's, it's, I I love the ones that are technology based, for sure. And there's one, for example, that came out of the local colleges here, but then had moved to Los Angeles to go out and expand their company there. And, and they created a simple technology platform that is a really a tie for the insurance companies and these, you know, the repair shops to be able to process data electronically. I love companies that solve simple problems, or like not these big companies, but simple problems that you can describe them in just a couple of sentences. And for me, it's it's not always the most complicated systems that are out there that become the fun investments. It's it's the easy ones that it's kind of the duh. You know what I mean? What they solve is just kind of an easy duh. And why didn't I think of that type thing?
0: That's fun. So um, thinking about the leadership lessons you learned and knowing how to associate with the right people. What What's an example of some of the advice you guys are giving the, the these firms that you're making your angel investments in, specifically you know, around leadership and connections and networking? And yeah, I think the
1: networking side, especially when we're younger, right? There's that insecurity to approach people and you always kind of feel like you're the dumb one in the room. I think just by nature, everybody kind of has that, unless you're arrogant and then it's like that's not a good thing either. But I think one of the things is to try to help them recognize that there is no one who's ever going to be offended by you coming up and asking for advice or help or input. And when you're in these networking events, you know, like corporate Alliance does their big events and sometimes you'll get an entrepreneur in there who's young and they're intimidated. So they don't walk up and talk to people. They sit in the corner, don't interact in the event and no value comes to them for it. And I was that person, right? When I was young, I remember going to one of my first networking events And I was a woman in technology, which was already weird, right? And I was super young at the time. And I would sit in the corner and go to the event and wait for it to be over. And one day, someone came up to me at an event and was like, "Hi, you know, I just wanted to say hi and introduce myself." And I was so happy; like everything in me wanted to scream, "I love you!" Right now, it's just in my inside voice, so I didn't say it out loud. But because I was so happy that they just were talking to me, and as I drove home that day, I thought, "Oh my gosh, you know what? I wonder if other people in that room feel like I felt." And if I wasn't offended, why would they be? And so I started to walk out to people and just introduce myself, shake their hand. And I never once had anybody who wasn't kind and open and excited to talk to me. Um, the other thing I learned is that, you know, nobody likes a know it all, right? So in those situations, if you, if you go in there and you feel like I have to know everything and I have to be super smart, that doesn't get people excited to talk to you. But if you go up to somebody and be like, you know, I've heard you're an expert in this area and I am so trying to learn more about that. Would you be willing to tell me They light up. People get excited to share their knowledge. And so it's good that you don't come in knowing it all because then they're going to be more excited to talk to you and they want to share everything they've learned. And it's just, my advice is go out there and network with everybody and get to know people and don't ever be afraid to just shake a hand and smile and say something kind to somebody and it will open more doors than you'd ever expect.
0: You know, it's such a good message and yet, there's so many temptations to just stay busy, to not notice people. Um, are there people that you look up to in your life? Is there somebody that set the example to you of showing up and saying something kind? Are there, is there, or are there things that you tell yourself when it's like you're tempted to do something more task-oriented, but you realize maybe it's better to focus with the people I'm with?
1: Yeah, you know, I've, I've been so blessed because I had so many good mentors, so it's hard to just name one of them. I look at my board of directors at MetaConnect, right? I had Jim Sorensen, Alan Hall, Dinesh Patel, um, Charlie Johnson, Scott Parker. Like I had this incredible board of like the wow guys, right? And every one of them was so kind and so complimentary of others and so willing to talk to anybody. And um, so I, I was surrounded by those people. i was, it, it, just super blessed that way. Um, but I, I really feel like, you know, people really are willing to help you more than you think if you just ask. And I think that sometimes we think, oh, they're so successful. They'll be offended if I talk to them. And that's really not the case because they became successful because they were helping other people be successful. So that's going to be their nature 99% of the time. So I just, I think that seeing that example of people who are willing to be kind to others was really helpful for me to feel more confidence asking.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about what you guys used to have on the wall at the company at Meta Connect.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, in, when we first started, I put a sign on the wall that said, do what's right. Just because of integrity, right? I talked about that being a core thing for me. Well, as business things started to come up, you start to find yourself almost justifying and rationalizing what you know to be right and wrong. For example... Let's say that you're going to submit an RFP to a big sale for a new customer and you know your competitors submitting the same RFP, but you know, they're liars and they're going to lie about it. And you're like, oh my gosh, well, they're going to lie and say this on this answer. If I don't also lie, they're going to get the deal and I can't let them win the deal being dishonest. So therefore it's okay if I'm dishonest to try to get the deal and you can do these weird games with yourself, right? Where you literally convince yourself you can do the wrong thing. For the right end result. And it's just bogus. And so we actually added to the thing do what's right, let the consequence follow. And it was kind of our way of saying look, there's going to be times I'm not going to lie on the RFP. Even though my competitor is going to lie, I'm still going to answer it honest. And that means I might not get the deal, but I have to be okay with that. Like I have to be okay that even the consequence might be negative for me but it's still the right thing to do the right thing anyway and i think that's where it changed our thinking right and so as an executive team and as a company that that was like a real mantra for us and it's important to have people around you that will also make sure you hold to that standard so that when you're having one of those moments where we're starting to ju- it's like when your wife says do i look fat in this pair of jeans you know, it's really easy to rationalize and go, <laughs> you know, I'm going to say what she wants to hear so she'll be happy. There, But it doesn't make it right to lie. So it's kind of like you have to find the right way to do the right thing, even if the end result is not going to be the, the happiness that you wanted. Because ultimately, you know, your success is going to come and go, but your integrity is forever. And I really feel like there is a A kind of an unseen dollar value on integrity. You know, it's not just a feel good value of like, oh, it sounds good to say have integrity. Like, honestly, that's your greatest asset you have. When you have a reputation of integrity that you've earned over the years, you get more business. I mean, we landed business all the time from clients that would come in and say, Hey, we were working with your competitor and they, we found out they were double billing us, or we found out they were cheating on this. And we know you guys have a reputation of integrity. We want to switch our business to you. Like there is a payback that comes from having integrity, even if you might not see it up front. In fact, I think it'd be a great case study to look at that, right? What's the dollar value of integrity? And it is, it's huge. At least in my life, that was my experience. So that do what's right, let the consequence follow was our way of reminding ourselves success is going to come and go, but integrity is going to be forever. And that's what matters most to us.
0: Well, and you have a good post on Forbes about it. People I should do. Go, read, go to your blog and go find it. You know what's it.
1: funny about that is when I wrote that article that night, I was actually really concerned. I was like, are, are people going to be offended I'm talking about integrity publicly on Forbes, right? Because you don't see a lot out there. Let's be honest. There's not a lot of communication about integrity that you see out there. And I put it up thinking, I wonder if people are going to be like, this is, uh, why is she writing something like this? It has to date been my most popular Forbes post of all the posts I've written over the years. And that really was good. Like, it made me feel good to know, okay, people do care about integrity. Like, they want to see more integrity in the world. And we just need to talk about it more.
0: Why do you think that we can be shy talking about values like that or beliefs?
1: Oh, I think people are so worried about offending somebody with what they say, right? And I mean, for example, okay, I grew up outside of the Utah culture. And you just didn't talk about religion outside of Utah. But in Utah, it's talked about a lot, right? And that was weird for me when I first moved here. And I was always very politically correct, right? When it came to what I talked about at work, because of how i had been raised. And when I was meeting with my board member Alan Hall one day, he said to me, "You know, do you talk to your employees about the fact?" Because I have i believe in God, right? And so he says, "Do you talk to your employees about the fact you believe in God?" And I was like, "Well, no, I don't bring that up at work, <laughs> right? I don't—I don't, don't want to offend anyone." And he's like, "Why would that offend anybody?" He's like, "You need to talk about who you are, what you believe in. You don't do it in an offensive way. Just be you." And I was like, "Really? You're okay with that?" As a you know, as a board member and investor, you're okay if we someone gets a. And he says, "Absolutely." And so I did, I started to become more open about my, my own faith and that I believed in God. And it was amazing because I never, you know, I always did in a way to say, you know, this is what I believe. I respect whatever you believe. And I never once had somebody offended. In fact, it led to all kinds of like good conversations about understanding other people's faiths and because we had a huge blend of faiths in our organization and, and it was awesome because I learned more about other people's faith. They learned more about my faith. And I think that as a leader, your faith impacts so many of your choices and they, your people need to know what you believe in. So they know what your values are based in. And when, when I had a hard decision to make at MetaConnect, I would you know say to my employees in the blog, I'd say, Hey, you know, I have to make this hard decision I want to ask that you guys pray for me, whatever you, whether it's God or mother nature or the universe or whatever you believe in, just, I could use your, your prayers on this. And, and people were awesome. They were like, totally like, right. It never got anyone offended. And it it taught me a lot about not being so afraid to talk about those kind of values, because if you do it in the respectful way, respecting other people's beliefs too, it's still who you are, right. You can not separate that you are who you are. So it's about, again, it goes back to being authentic.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. It makes me think about a story. Um, Really good friend of ours he 's a New York securities lawyer, um, Jewish guy who uh, told me this great story about connecting it, a, a billionaire investor he was working with and I know i 'm going to say this name wrong, and i shouldn 't but the book the Bodvagat Gita which i 'm saying wrong, Bova Gita he had read that he would read you know this guy 's church book essentially yeah. right, and it was such an impressive thing i mean you 're thinking so you know <laughs> not the most touchy-feely people in New York all the time, so, <laughs> right, right? So he's a securities lawyer that became an investment banker. Yeah, yeah. Okay, not the most... I've said. <laughs> not the most gushy of people, okay? Yeah. Um, and it was, like, such a start for a long-term friendship with this extremely busy uh, billionaire with all these international holdings and stuff. And it was an interesting story for me of, of um, like you said, it's respectful but acknowledging and... um.
1: It helps you get to, I mean, like it's how you bond with people, right? Like I love learning about people's religious beliefs, just of all faiths, because it teaches me about, you know, who they are. And it also shows me the common threads we all have. Even if we believe different things, there's still so many commonalities there and you can focus on the differences or you can focus on the commonalities, right? And it totally changes your perspective of people when you choose to look at the commonalities and you're willing to be open-minded and listen, you know, really like listen with the intent to understand. So.
0: But isn't it interesting how, in almost any conversation, could be at home, could be at work, could be anywhere. There's the opportunity to discuss what we agree with what the person just said, or the opportunity to discuss with what we disagree, and and doesn't have such an effect on where the conversation goes, which one we choose.
1: Absolutely, because I think that it, it's kind of it's going to shut somebody down really quick the second you, you know, I. I I have a really hard time with all the negative social media stuff that goes on these days where people are like having these public fights about issues to try to prove who's right and who's wrong. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're killing me. Like, do you really think anyone is going to be convinced because you are super negative about that? Like, who's ever going to be like swayed to what you think by someone who's really kind of in your face and just cutting you down for your beliefs as opposed to someone who's willing to say, help me understand how you feel. Let me help you understand how I feel. And, and having a conversation more that way, like that's what persuades, not, not the, well, you're so dumb because you believe this. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just funny how people get it in their mind. That's going to make a difference to be negative. Yeah. Um,
0: So I know we only have a few minutes left, but um, you know, the technology world. Venture investing, angel investing—this is something people think are cool, is really cool these days, right? It's kind of sexy. Yeah, you get to do it all the time. Yeah. Why don't you tell us um, something about this industry or something about doing it day to day that maybe somebody who's not in it might not know?
1: You know, for me, I did, like I said, I didn't grow up with a tech background, right? And I think being a woman, especially when you're younger, you kind of think of technology as just a bunch of sweaty guys in a back room. No offense to the stereotype, but that's kind of what the picture is. So girls don't usually want to get excited about it, and. I didn't realize what a knack I had for technology until I started hearing uh, people's problems, right, in the medical space. And I started to just draw screens. It was just simply I started designing software by just literally drawing a screen on a piece of graph paper, not realizing that by drawing the screen and then writing down what every button did and what it should lead to, that I was designing the specs of a software system. And... When that when when I started to kind of do that, actually, I and then learning to code, so I could just understand enough to be dangerous, right? To be able to throw down the BS flag when your programmers are going to tell you it takes ten times longer and costs ten times more. Um, as I started to learn that, I'm like, you know, gosh girls have such a creative knack for the user experience because women by nature tend to pay attention to, you know, the, the user, like men are more factually based, you know, just by stereotype and women tend to be very creative and worry about how do you feel about how that was. Right. And I, I realized that women have such a knack for that side of technology and yet we don't do much to promote it to our young girls as being this creative role within technology. And I think that's an area where, There's so much opportunity to help our, you know, young women recognize that there there's these sides to technology that are appealing to some of those girls that don't like the, you know, just the straight up coding part of it. But there's a lot of things that are super creative there. And I think there's just a huge for us to feel the job need that we have especially even in Utah, it's nationwide, but to find enough people that are doing the programming, if we don't start to encourage our young ladies to get into that space, we're not gonna have enough programmers. And the way to encourage them is to help them see these creative sides too that they might really enjoy and not even think about. It's, you know, it's not a sweaty backroom person who's playing you know video games all day. It's, it's really, there's these creative sides to it that the women are naturally super talented at. And I'd love to see us promote that to our young girls more in the technology space because that for me was a real lesson and an eye-opener was like, Hey, I'm really good at this and I never thought of myself as that.
0: Yes, yeah, so I have a 13-year-old daughter who keeps coming to me with entrepreneurial ideas, right? And um there are a lot of times that she's thinking so linear and it's trading her hours for dollars, right? Yes. And and we really do try to encourage her to think about the opportunity to leverage and and how can you work once get paid many times, whether it's intellectual property production or what are what are the chances for digital distribution of this idea, honey, you know?
1: Well, and, and all of our kids frankly should be learning to do basic coding, you know, software coding and, and development when they're young. I think it should be in our required courses for when they're in, in high school growing up, right? We used to take typing. I took typing class. I don't know if you did, but on the typewriter. <laughs> so sad how old I am. But but I think that our young people everybody should be learning that because how can you do anything in today's world without having a core understanding of technology and how it works and what's possible. Like you'll open their minds to what's possible if we expose them to it. And I think that's something where there's just never a downside to having our kids learn that, even if they don't do it like that was my day to day job. Right. But just learning what could be done helped open my mind to what problems I could solve.
0: I love it. Well, um, I know we're about out of time. Last episode, we, we ended with, uh, one of your best pieces of advice. Um, that you ever received this time, let's do this. Let's have you give everybody your, your blog URL one more time. And then uh, what's a question that you don't get asked in interviews that you wish people would ask?
1: Ooh, that's a hard one. Well, let me first start with the blog site. So it's Amy Reese Anderson. It's dot com forward slash blog is where the blog site is. A question I don't get asked. Ooh, I've been asked so many questions. I can't think of one that I haven't been asked.
0: Um Or just one that you like to answer when you get asked it.
1: Well, I think, you know, the the balance thing. You always get asked about work life balance and I always kind of laugh because I don't know why people think I have that down because I certainly do not, but <laughs> I don't think anybody has work life balance down. I think that's a struggle for all of us. But I think that um you know, one thing that for me was a big life takeaway is that there's a lot of things that we can spend our time on that just don't matter, right? And then One of the things we used to keep on our little walls of the cubes for people in the office was, is what I'm doing right now, leading me to where I want to be or to what I need to accomplish. And it's like so much of our time day to day, we spend on things, you know, and and some of it's fun stuff, right? And that's, that's fun to do. But there's a lot of things we do that just don't matter. And we worry about stuff that doesn't matter. Five years from now, are you going to look back and care about this thing that you were stressing over all day to day? No. So I think that, um, and I guess it ends up going back to a piece of advice here, right? Sorry about that, but I can not see great. your see it. But it's like just, just learning in life to separate what really matters, what doesn't matter, and is what I'm doing right now worth stressing over? Like, can I actually solve the problem? And if I can't, then stop stressing over it and, and focus your time on the things that matter. Cut some of those things out of your life that don't matter or that are distractions from what really does matter in the end because I think perspective is huge. And if you can keep proper perspective day to day, you're going to be so much more successful because I, I for one, you know, I stress over a lot of things that are just stupid. There's nothing I can do, so you got to just let it go. And I think that's an area where, again, we don't talk about it as much, right? But I think it's probably some of. The, if I could go back and talk to my younger self <laughs> and be like, "Here's what you need to know," I would say seriously. It, first of all, it's like way better than you think it is. Nothing's nearly as scary or bad as you feel like it is today, and the things that seem like huge emergencies today are really not going to be an emergency tomorrow. You know, um, that's where I think faith comes in, right? Like whatever your faith is in for me, it was like that thing of, I was like, what do you mean you have faith about business? How are you gonna have faith about business? What does it have to do with business? But really it does because you know, those, those things where you're freaking out at night and you want to be with your kids or whatever, and you've got these client contracts that have to get done. And I'm like, well, how, how am I supposed to have faith? Because God's not going to come down and write a contract for me, right? Like he's, he's not going to step in and do that. So what do you mean you have faith? But it's really about the fact that you can spend that time with your family and the next day, maybe that contract was supposed to be ready by 10 a.m. But the client's going to give you a pass till noon or something. That's where the faith comes in, right? Like it's in other ways. And and so just focus on what matters. Don't don't change your priorities out for anything because you you when you, when you get forward 20 years, 30 years, 40 years from now, you're going to look back. And there's going to be things you're going to regret and things you won't care about. And think about those now so that you're always focused on what really matters, right? And and keep those priorities.
0: I love it. Got nothing to add. That's perfect ending. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Check out Amy's blog. Thanks for making time, Amy. Thank you. Well, that's it for the episode. One other thing I wanted to tell you about. If you remember the guys from Convoy uh, in episodes back, Ken Free and... Trent Mano. I went on one of their CEO trips to New York and I met a guy named Brent Thompson, very successful entrepreneur. He was former CEO of Jive Communications, big uh, company now, I think three or four hundred million dollars. Anyways, he uh, he started a new company called blipbillboards.com. I'm super stoked they're a sponsor now. But I remember a year and some ago when I met him, I thought it was genius. Instead of having to buy six months or a year's worth of billboard uh, for thousands of dollars, you can buy eight seconds at a time for like 10 or 20 cents you pick what billboard you want it on what time of day you want it to run and it just puts so much power in the hands of of marketers and ceos who want to try something and see if it works you can buy as many or as few as you want change it as many times as you want Uh, i think now our podcast is being advertised on billboards in like 18 different states because we have these guys as sponsors we're pretty excited about it hope you check out blipbillboards.com thanks At Farmers Insurance, we know a roof can withstand a lot. One exception being an airborne car. Seen it? Covered it. Click for more.
1: We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates, products not available in every state.